Baseball's in full swing, and you can be part of the action all season long at DraftKings.com, the official daily fantasy partner of Major League Baseball. Daily fantasy means no season-long commitments, just instant cash, instant gratification. And why wait until the end of the season to get paid when you can win huge prizes every day? At DraftKings, it's like a brand new season every time you play. Just pick two pitchers, pick eight position players, and pick up your cash. That's it. Ask Peter from Colorado. Last year, he won a million dollars in one day, simply playing fantasy baseball at DraftKings. Hundreds of thousands of fantasy sports fans just like you have already cashed in at DraftKings. Now it's your turn. New contests start daily, so hurry to DraftKings.com right now and use promo code SNIDER, S-N-I-D-E-R, to play for free in today's $10,000 fantasy baseball contest. DraftKings.com, official partner of Major League Baseball. Enter SNIDER, that's S-N-I-D-E-R, for free entry now, free, at DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com, that's DraftKings.com. Let's play. This might fall under the heading of TMI, too much information, but isn't that the very essence of Snyder comments on Podcast One? Well, I guess since it's only the second show, the essence has not truly been defined, but let me say now that this is the essence of Snyder comments, to expose the dirty little secrets, to share Things that people don't normally like to talk about. Why shouldn't we all know what's going on? <laughs> I vote. I'm in favor of it. So with that in mind, I, I tell you that a dirty little secret of men is that while we, most of us, do wear underwear... Uh, and change them some semi-regularly. Um, uh, I, I'm just going to go on record saying daily on my part. We do have an emergency pair of underwear, a last resort. This is a pair of underwear that we have. Well, first of all, it's underwear only in the grammatical sense. It has the framework of underpants and 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 something resembling an elastic like thing at the top but it is it's incredibly threadbare and really doesn't do much of anything in a way of support or containing the beast so to speak but we're reluctant to throw them out in the event that due to circumstances beyond our control we were unable to do the laundry that week a couple weeks or whatever it is you know depending on how many pairs you have and as a last resort, we have to reach to the back of the draw and present or pull out this pair of underpants we've been saving for just such an emergency. Why not just go commando, you say? Well, for many of us, you know, that idea has moved on and we think something, even if it's barely fabric between us and the pants we are wearing, is better than nothing. Now, women... I know many of you are laughing right now and scoffing, going, ha! But don't you have that pair of granny panties in the back of the drawer for yourself? For those days when there's nothing left and you hope that you will not have to disrobe for anybody who will really care that you are wearing these oversized, baggy, embarrassing, beige nightmares. 
You know what I'm talking about. Now, am I saying that I had to resort to the emergency underwear today? Um, I'm not going to share that much information. I'll just say that I was made to think about this pair of underwear because I gazed upon it in my empty underwear drawer. So uh, now you know one of the dirty little secrets of men, the emergency underwear, but we know about the granny panties as well. So uh, let none of us, neither of us, men nor women, ever be caught in a tragic accident where they take us to the hospital and cut our clothes off to discover we're wearing either of those. My mother used to say, keep an emergency pair of good underwear in the glove compartment just in case you need to change out of them before going to the hospital. Which will be my, you know, as, as they're using the jaws of life to get me out of the wreckage, I will say to the EMT, dude, I'm wearing my emergency underwear. I've got a pair in the glove compartment just in the case of this. Could you slip those on me before I go to the hospital? Uh, and so, so, you know, I don't want to be embarrassed in front of the, uh, in front of the nurses and the doctors. There you have it. D. Snyder here on Snyder Comments. Uh, so much to talk about. So many things I want to share with you uh, on my mind uh, this week is a subject that I'm very passionate about. And that is what defines a band member as opposed to an add-on, uh, one of those guys who's a paid sideman who later on joins the, the club. And the extreme version of that being Tommy Thayer in Kiss, which literally makes me mental. I mean, I'm borderline psychopathic when it comes to that. I, you know, I, I, I mean, if I was a person that did things like killed people, that would be someone I might kill. Okay, but I don't have those thoughts, so you don't have to worry about that, people. I'm just saying, I, it just, it's, it's maddening to me that he dons the outfit, he dons the makeup, the body mannerisms, the playing style, the vocal style, every aspect of Ace Frehley's persona he inhabits, and, uh, and I just think it's disgraceful. So I brought in Sebastian Bach, who's suffered throughout seeing a guy brought into Skid Row who was picked to be like Sebastian. They wanted someone who sang like Sebastian. And Rudy Sarzo, who's not only been a founding band member of Quiet Riot, uh, in the van, so to speak, as we like to say, got in the van and sold tickets on Sunset Boulevard, like pay-to-play shows. But he also was that guy who joined a band that already existed and took the place of somebody else, literally lip-syncing the parts of, um, uh, you know, in videos of Bob Daisley and Ozzy Osbourne, or um, forgetting who the bass player was in Whitesnake um, that he that he played the parts of, but. You know, he's done both extremes. So I had the guys in here, and I was hoping for some insight. I was hoping they would share their frustration if it existed or their explanations. And to my chagrin, all they pretty much did was avoid committing. Um, as I said to them, uh, they are the only two friends in the music business I have. They are friends with everybody. And I was fearful that they would be afraid to speak out against anybody for fear of, you know, as, as uh, Mel Brooks said, uh, for fear of their phony baloney jobs, gentlemen, in Blazing Saddles. Um, you know, I guess Rudy playing with everybody in the world wants to leave those possibility open. So far be it from him to speak, uh, you know, badly about anybody. Uh, and, and, and Sebastian Bach, huge Kiss fan, but he, I think he likes his relationship with Paul and Gene and does not want to compromise it. Because Paul and Gene, as Eddie Trunk well knows, they don't particularly like when people call them on the carpet on anything. On anything. And this is not criticizing the talent. This wasn't criticizing the talent of anybody who, who of, of, a, of a bumblefoot who, you know, takes the slash job in Guns N' Roses, you know, and, or, or, the, or the quality of the person. This was just, you know, uh, it seems that the public forgets the original people, and it's frustrating to me. I think these people, the original band members, are heroes. You know, in the Soviet Union, back in the day, how do I know these things? I, I don't know how I know these things. But the Soviet Union, for all their, uh, their, their problems and issues and, and, the, and the, you know, the communist country they were, one thing that I did like is that they appreciated the importance of heroes, and respected the hero. And if you were a star athlete or even a star ballerina, a star anything in the Soviet Union, 
You were set up for life. Is it true? You were given an apartment, a nice car, you were put on a salary that you received your entire life because the Soviet Union, they back then, this is this is Russia, this is, this is you know the the Eastern Bloc, so to speak. Um, they knew how important heroes are to people, and no, they didn't want their heroes ever seen down and out. They never want to see their heroes anything less but grand. So they took care of them into their old age. Well, before the wall came down, but into their old age, just because it was important for people's heroes to always be on that pedestal. And as a fan of rock music, the people who made the music, the guys in the band, the original guys, they are my heroes. So when somebody else comes in and, you know, and starts uh, taking, uh, yeah, I'm in, uh, I'm in Whitesnake, I'm in Guns N' Roses, I'm in, no, you're not, dude. But I'm rehashing, I'm rehashing. Um, I, I, the th- big thing, a couple of things I really want to get to, one of the big ones, and I'm going to get to that later on in the show, is discussion of my drummer A.J. Pirro's death and subsequent comments that I made publicly about it. Um, they, I, I, I want to say they're still haunting me because I'm not haunted by them at all. I stand by them and I'm comfortable with them, and, um, and I will explain myself. Uh, I was, I was, you know, I was accused of bashing my deceased band member, you know, uh, you know, and, uh, and some people were upset with me, but, uh, I, I'll explain myself and I'll talk about that later. It all started with a TMZ, uh, interview at the wrong time, the right interview at the wrong time, but maybe it wasn't the wrong time. And I'll explain that in a little while. Um, this week I've been, had some few pretty interesting things happen. One is uh, I went to Philadelphia for uh, Wizard World Comic Con. And uh, you're, you're familiar with the San Diego Comic Con and some of the legendary, they're all over the country. And what was once literally, you know, practically literally something in someone's basement and garage trading comic books and then grew to, you know, the VFW Hall and small, small locations, you know, hotels and things like that has now grown beyond belief the magnitude, the size of these conventions. And you see them now, they, they, you know, the news will, will broadcast the local convention and show the insanity, the lines, the amount of people. And there's so many things that play into this, uh, and one of them being that, the, the, that you know, uh, comic books, heroes, that stuff's arrived. It's crossed over from being, you know, the crumpled up pages in some kid's bedroom to on the big screen. And look, you know, uh, Avengers, which I don't know if you saw Avengers, unbelievable, amazing. Did you see it? I'm talking to my engineer. What a great movie. I mean, here's two statements for you. One, one of the, uh, it's in the, in the, the billion dollar club. There's only a handful of movies that have grossed over a billion dollars and it, in the first like week. It went to a billion dollars, or it's approaching a billion. If, I, if, I've outspoke, if I've spoken wrong there, don't freak out. But the crossing over, on the other state of the thing I want to make, A, the, how big they are. B, we went to see it for Mother's Day. My wife's choice of film for the family to go see was Avengers. A grandmother of three wanted to see. Now, it might have been partially because she thought it was something the whole family would enjoy. But the theater was packed. It was sold out on a Sunday afternoon. And it was filled with moms and grandmothers, which just speaks to how it has crossed over, how big comic books, superheroes, the geek nation has grown. You know, to, to say, you know, you're a geek anymore, it really doesn't even count. Because if, if you know, liking Star Wars and Star Trek and, and, and Marvel superheroes makes you a geek, then we're all geeks at this point. The entire world has become one big geek. But the... The convention scene has grown astronomically. And this, the, I, the convention I went to in Philadelphia was literally the size of several football fields. Several football fields. And packed. And now it's not just about comics or just about horror. It's, I mean, there are athletes there and rock stars there and the, 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 the celebrities 
just the, the, the amount of celebrity and the amount of people there, wrestling stars and TV stars and movie stars. Burt, Burt Reynolds was there. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And, and it's now, again, it's not just for the fanboy or fangirl. It's a family event. Everybody's doing it. Now, I went to it. I want to tell you just a little bit, a couple of interesting things that happened there uh, when I returned. And I also got a chance this week to meet one of my heroes, which can either be incredibly empowering or incredibly disappointing. And I'm sure, well, I don't know if you've met heroes, but uh, I'm sure some of you have experienced both. And fortunately, this was empowering. And I'll tell you about that uh, when I can return with more Snyder comments on Podcast One. Welcome back to Snyder Comments on Podcast One. I'm Dee Snyder, uh, my weekly foray into exploring the unexplorable, discussing the undiscussable, uh, disgusting the undisgustingable. Um, I, you know, I, I, like I said, I pride myself on sp- speaking my mind and saying things and talking about things that sometimes people don't want to talk about. This particular subject is not one of those. But uh, I was talking before the break about um, going to the, uh, the Wizard World Comic Con in Philadelphia and how massive it is and what it's turned into. But you also run the risk, or the, the blessing for that matter, of running into people that you like or don't like. So sometimes you get to meet people that you've been a big fan of, like uh, Carrie Hughes, Yules. I always probably with his name from uh, Princess Bride, and he was in the first Saw movie. Um, and he was really cool. Um, uh, Lynn, Lynn Shay, I believe her name is. She was in something about Mary. She was the old woman, tan old woman with the saggy boobs. She was also in, uh, she was also in uh, um, uh, oh, uh, Kingpin. The next door neighbor that was making Woody Harrelson have sex with her, the disgusting woman. You remember? <laughs> so, and she's like done so many great movies. And she's she's just one of those actresses. You see her, you know her. She's a, you know she can do anything. Uh, you get to meet her, and she's cool as hell. And and that was great. But one of my nemeses, I say nemeses because that's the plural of nemesis, because that means I have more than one. <laughs> Uh, yes, I, D. Snyder, have people who I don't like and who don't like me. What do you know? And Lou Ferrigno was there. Now, Lou and I were cast members on The Celebrity Apprentice a couple of years ago. And initially, I thought we really hit it off. But now, in retrospect, I think that Lou was just, you know, it was gamesmanship and, and Lou was just playing me. But I had some great, my great, uh, one of my greatest moments. I was a fan of Lou Ferrigno's from his bodybuilding days. And one of my greatest moments after Lou and I were bonding is my phone rings. And I pick it up and I go, hello. And I hear this. Want to do chest? Just, that's all he says. Want to do chest? Meaning it was Lou Ferrigno that I want to go down to the gym and work out chest with a Hulk. And I'm into working out, but I mean, but just that, I mean, just the idea of doing chess with a Hulk, how cool was that? So I'm on cloud nine. I'm thinking, me and Lou have connected. We're bonding. We're, we're hanging out together on the show. I did everything I could to, to help the guy and support the guy because he does have a handicap. I mean, he's deaf. And uh, it's, it's, it's well known that he's deaf. And uh, it didn't surprise anybody there. Um, but he's got cochlear implants and things like that. So he's, he's, his circumstances have improved in that world. But... We were on the show, and we had a lot in common. We both uh, both married Italian women. Well, he's an Italian, but he's married to Italian women. Married for a long time. Kids, uh, no drugs, no alcohol, uh, into staying healthy, being fit. The dude is like four or five years older than me, and it's great. I'm fit. It's insane how fit that guy is. It's like nuts. And But Lou is a little bit strange. Oh, I got something to tell you about Lou. Okay. Lou is... Um, he, he, he's very, like, his strength is his calling card, and he's, it's like being around Lou is like being back in high school with the dude, uh, the, the strong guy in school, who would, like, sneak up behind you and throw you in a headlock and start choking you out or punch you in the arm. Uh, Lou, that's Lou's world. 
Lou still does that. It's still a dominance thing with Lou in any room. He'll let you know, you know, I know how to kill a man with just snapping his neck. He'll, he'll tell you these things. I don't know what voice that was. Half Arnold, half deaf mute. I, I can't really do a good Lou. But, but anyway, but he will tell you that he knows how to kill people. Uh, and he's constantly, like when he chokes you, he chokes you just to the point where you're starting to need air. And then, ho oh, oh, and he lets go of you, okay? So, uh, you know, or he punches you hard, you know, not hard enough to leave a bruise, but hard enough to let you know, damn, he's not even hitting me, and this guy could put me through a wall. He's constantly sending that message. And Penn Gillette, who was on the show with us, he, um, Penn is, Penn is a, a pacifist to the max. He will not, if he's been a physically attacked because he's a very outspoken guy as well, and he's huge. He calls himself a Wookiee. He is huge. He's a big man. But if you attack Ben Gillette, he will put his hands behind his back and just allow himself to be beaten. And it's happened on, ma- on a number of occasions. Uh, and Pop, Pop maybe even fall on the floor and just crawl into a ball and because he will not fight back. Whether he could defend himself or not defend himself, that's not the question. He doesn't believe in physical violence. He doesn't believe in force, so he will not. He will not fight back. He will not defend or protect himself. But Lou, again, taking us all back to high school immediately by doing this, you know, choke out, uh, body bear hugs, uh, punches in the arm, uh, physical, uh, verbal threats of violence. I could kill you, you know, you know that kind of thing. F- finally, Penn snapped, and Penn literally told Lou, told the producers, he goes, if you touch me one more time, if you lay, if you touch me, because you can't go, you can't move away from Lou. Lou will come after you. He has a point to prove. If you touch me one more time, I will call the police. Not talking about the reality TV police. I'm not talking about people dressed as police. I'm not talking about Robert Trump security, uh, Robert Trump, Donald Trump security uh, people. No, I'm talking about 911 emergency this man is physically assaulting me and harassing me. He told Lou. I mean, because because Lou, for him, it got it went too far. But that's the, that's what Lou is like. Now there was a moment on the show, and this is pretty amazing, where uh, Penn suggested that if he had to. Uh, bring somebody back to the boardroom. You know how the game's played. If, if you lose your task, you have to pick two people to bring back to the boardroom to see who's going to be fired. He mentioned that Lou would be one of them. Now, bear in mind that in, the, in, our, in our war room, the room where we all meet, he, Phil, uh, Penn, being a cool guy, told Lou and told George Takei that he was going to name them, even though neither of them had done anything, but he's required to play, by playing the game that he had to name somebody. So he told Lou, he says, guys, I'm sorry about this. And, you know, I'm going to say, this is what I'm going to say. And this is why I'm going to say I'm picking you. But it's really, I'm just, you know, uh, it's nothing personal and blah, blah, blah. Well, we get in there. He says, Mr. Trump, George Takei, Lou Ferrigno, this is why. George Takei says, I appreciate and respect Penn Gillette. And, you know, he was straight up with me. He told me right up front that that was going to happen. Lou starts to lose it. And Lou, it's, and, and Lou is starting to go. I give 110%, and, you, what you and you're looking down on me. You talk down to me. You don't, and he starts going off, and Penn is sitting right next to him, and Penn is trying to calm the, the monster, the Hulk. He's starting to Hulk out in the, in the room. He's starting to freak out, and Penn's just going, I'm sorry, Lou. You're right, Lou. It was my fault, Lou. I was wrong, Lou. And he's just, he's just trying to calm the situation down because it appears to all of us that it could escalate really quickly. Okay? So now, cut to months after we filmed this, because the show filmed in the fall, it airs in the winter. Um, Pendulette gets a phone call from the FBI at Quantico. Quantico, this is where they train FBI agents, okay? This is in, in Langley, Virginia, I believe it is, right? Uh, and if I got my facts wrong, don't beat me up, but you feel free to beat me up if you want to by emailing me at SnyderComments, SnyderComments at PodcastOne.com or tweet me at SnyderComments. Um, so they call him up and say, listen, Penn, would you mind coming and lecturing our cadets at the academy 
at Quantico. And he goes, what, what could I possibly share with your cadets? They said, watching Lou Ferrigno on The, the Apprentice, clearly, this is the FBI reading, Lou Ferrigno was in a psychotic state. You could tell by his eyes, by his body language, by his facial, his facial twitches. He was in a psychotic state, and you handled it perfectly. This is what we train the cadets to do. At Quantico, we train them to how to calm. You kept your hands in, open. You never broke eye contact. You kept a steady, even tone. You, he says, you did everything correctly. They said, were you trained to deal with psychoses? It's all about Lou Ferrigno. And Penn says, no, but I, I was, he was a carny. He was a barker at a carnival, uh, Penn Gillette. says, so I dealt with a lot of crazy people, and I guess over the years I learned how to deal with them and how to calm them down and whatever. So they actually wanted Penn Gillette. So the point of that is, that's Lou Ferrigno. So Lou and I are on the show, and we both get called into the boardroom, and they're going to fire one of us. It's the classic, you know, the classic thing. Lou, when he asks, Lou blurts out in the conversation, Lou says, D was wooing Diana Mendoza. He was too busy wooing Diana Mendoza to do his job right. Wooing, in case people don't know what that means, that means hitting on. Diana Mendoza was a Miss Universe who's on our team. Is 23 years old, which is the same age as my son at that time. And I'm like, what? Which is nothing can be further from the truth. Donald Trump actually stopped filming something he didn't do in the entire show. He stopped. He goes, cut the cameras. He goes, D, you're married, right? I said, Mr. Trump, I've been with the same woman at that time. It was like 36 years. I said, Diana is the same age as my son. And, and Diana goes, Mr. Trump, D didn't do anything. D didn't hit on me. And he says to Lou, you, we're going to start up again, do it without that. All right? Now, Lou, knowing I'm married to a hot-headed Italian and I've been married forever, in desperation to say anything he could possibly say about me, because there was nothing he could say about the job I had done, actually said something that could put me in touch with my wife. And going one step further, it gets out to the National Enquirer. So the National Enquirer runs an article that says, Love Triangle on Celebrity Apprentice with a picture of me, Lou Ferrigno, and Diana Mendoza. And my wife did see that. So needless to say, Lou is not one of my favorite people. I consider him to be a piece of crap. And I avoid him at all costs. And here I am. I'm at the convention, the Wizard World Comic Con in Los, in, um, uh, in Philadelphia, and Lou Ferrigno's on the panel. Now, I told you this, this, this convention is like three football fields, and he's at one end of the football field, and I'm at the other end. But there was a common green room, the green room being the room that all the, the, the talent go to to take a break. And, of course, I'm in there one time, and Lou comes walking in. And what does Lou do? Now, I've been Lou bashing on radio shows for a while. What does Lou do? He sees me, and he goes, hey. Like we never had a problem. Like nothing's wrong. And I realize that scumbags are scumbags all the time. He wasn't just being a scumbag to me. His actions weren't just created for D. Snyder. This is just something he does habitually. When put in a corner and when, when desperate, he will say or do anything, and he doesn't get the significance of what's wrong with that behavior. And I can tell you right now, Lou is not a well-liked person. I mean, there's a, how many people I've run into who have not nice things to say. But Lou Ferrigno, for all my hating of him, for, for you know, because we I thought we were friends and what he did, Fact of the matter is, he doesn't get it. So it's not even worth it. So that was my, my so I, I think I've kind of, well, I was going to say I'm over the Lou thing, 
But now I just went off on it for about 15 minutes on the radio, so I guess I'm not over it. But now I'm officially over it. Now I'm officially over it. I'm saying right here until someone texts me or uh, I mean tweets me about it at uh, Snyder Comments or emails me, SnyderComments at PodcastOne.com. All right. I met one other person of interest at the convention. Well, I met a lot of people of interest. I said Lynn Shea and, 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 you know, I said Carrie Yules. And there was a bunch of people, people from Walking Dead cast. And, I mean, it was a lot of people. But this one came out of left field. The, um, the, um, one of the things about these conventions is they become very corporate. What happened is now this little geeky little thing, people see the corporate world has seen that there's money in it, and they have started to buy up like so many people have done, like Clear Channel bought up all the radio stations. There are corporations buying up the conventions and turning them into factories. That's why they've gone from being a garage size to being multi-football field size, because they become businesses, big businesses. And I met the owner of the Wizard World uh, convention, the guy who was in the clothing business, clothing manufacturer and took his his trade and knowledge of manufacturing clothes and applied it to the comic book world, the geek world, successfully. He's blowing these things up. And it was very nice. Um, and he, he invites me to come out to dinner with him. And a uh, cool guy. And I said, yeah, he said, come out with me and my wife. I'll have a bite to eat. I said, awesome. He goes, oh, by the way, you know who my wife is? And I said, no, I never met your wife. He goes, you see The Wolf of Wall Street? I was like, yeah, sure, great movie. He goes, yeah, she's the Duchess of Brooklyn. Now, if you saw The Wolf of Wall Street, did you see Wolf of Wall Street? The hot woman married to Jordan Belfort. They got divorced. Well, she married him. Now, mind you, they married, got married about 15 years ago, so it's before the movie comes out, but now it's an odd calling card to say my wife is the Duchess of Brooklyn when your vision of him is Jordan, Jordan Belfort crawling on all fours toward her vagina and her with her foot on his head. Remember, she puts his foot on, her, on his forehead? Well, we go, we go out to dinner, and mind you, that movie's 20 years old, so this woman is considerably older. She, uh, her reputation is deserved. She's, you know, a very beautiful woman. Uh, that very broad Brooklyn accent, crazy broad Brooklyn accent uh, that she had in the movie, that she was well cast and well acted by whoever that actress was who played her in the movie. Uh, and, you know, uh, and to her credit, you know, incredibly together. She uh, just graduated from, uh, from uh, with her seven years of college. She's a doctor in psychology. So she got her, just got her doctorate, uh, raised five kids. So very cool, very pretty, very together woman. So don't hold the Jordan Belfort routine things against her. So, you know what? I think I'm going to save, um, well, I'm going to save who I, uh, who else I met this week. I got here. I had breakfast with and move on to the AJ Pirro passing away. AJ Pirro, my drummer died on March 20th. I believe it was. Um, he died a massive stroke and massive heart attack, died out on the road with adrenaline mob. Uh, one of, one of my brothers and as my guitar player, JJ French has said, the nice one died. There's five of us in Twisted Sister, five original members, and he was the nice one. The other four of us are scumbags to one degree or another. Uh, and people, people out there are going, oh no, dear guy. I, okay. Yeah. But, but you know, these are, these are the guys who we've, we've known each other for 40 years. These are the guys who know you behind closed doors. These are the guys who know other than your public face and see you on your bad days and your psychotic days and your neurotic days and your egomaniacal days. Those are all my days. Uh, and seen you at your worst. So uh, say A.J. Pirro was a nice one. Um, that is high praise indeed because that guy was a constant, just a great guy. But after his death, I found out information about his passing, about what he, you know, he died at 55. And that sounds old to any young people listening to this show. But trust me, for a 60-year-old where I am, that's not old at all. Okay? And I don't think AJ was ready to go. It's not one of those things where you're going, my time's coming close. You know, no. At 55, you're still thinking, 
I had a few more good years. I'm still doing it. And by doing it, I mean having sex. <laughs> With, without any help. Okay, in case you're wondering, younger listeners, yes, you're still going to be fucking in your 50s and 60s. Terrifying as that image is. And now try not to think about your parents doing it. Oh, damn it, D. Ah, ah. Okay, sorry. I didn't mean to put that idea in your head. This said, uh, about a week after his death, I was interviewed on TMZ. And this is what I had to say. I just got to say, you know, uh, AJ, people ask me how I feel about AJ's passing. And, and quite honestly, I'm going through a real period of anger right now about it. He's a great guy and I loved him dearly. But um, he had a history of heart disease. His family did. His father died in his early 60s of heart, of heart disease. And AJ never had himself checked out. And when I did the autopsy, he had 95% blockage oh, and four of his aortas, advanced heart disease, and um, he didn't have to die. And I feel it's like it's basically irresponsible behavior on his part. He had two ex-wives, an ex-girlfriend of 19 years, four kids he left behind. And, and, you know, you have a responsibility as a parent, as an adult, to get yourself checked out. So people, please get yourself checked out. There's no reason for people die of heart disease in this day and age. Now, right then and there, uh, I, uh, what was the guy's name? Um, the host of that show is escaped me right now. But uh, he says, uh, he said, "Wow, that's harsh." And um, but the fact of the matter is, it was a truth, and there was quite a bit of reaction on uh, you know social media, and and uh, you know D. Snyder bashes his drummer and attacks the word bash and attack. And I mean, the fact that I said, the first thing I said is I love the guy. Uh, and, 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 and why would anybody be upset with someone doing what AJ did unless they cared about them deeply and loved them deeply? People die every day. And I don't go as far as to, to speak out about the way they chose to go. Uh, you know, I spoke out about AJ because I'm hurt and his family's hurt. And, his, and the world he left behind is in complete turmoil as a result of it. And the, but the reaction from people, you know, like listeners, for example, um, was, was mixed. You know, some applauded the fact that I spoke up and said something. Others, um, others were very upset with me. Said, how could you talk like that? And others were like in between, which I don't get, Saying, well, you know, not cool to say those things, but an important message to get out. Well, yeah, yeah, freaking important message to get out. I, you know, the fact that, by the way, I found out his father died in his fifties, not in his, not in his sixties, in his fifties. His father died about the same age AJ was when he died. And um, you're given opportunities. You know, TMZ doesn't say. Hey, uh, unless you know, hey, when do you want to come on the show and talk about your drummer's passing, or talk about what's going on in the world of Twisted Sister and in your announcement that the band's retiring and stuff like that, which is something I'll talk more about probably on next week's show. Um, and and when I say talk about Twisted Sister, this isn't just about me. It's about uh, you know, what I want to talk about is is farewell tours. What a pile of shit they are. Okay, that's what I want to talk about next week, but uh, and I, and we'll get into that next week. But uh, you know, TMZ said, "Hey, you want to come in the air and talk?" And here I saw an opening, a chance to communicate an important message to people, a chance to say that a AJ didn't have to go, b that we as a people have a responsibility to the people we leave behind when we take actions. We always think, oh, it's just affecting me. It's just affecting me. It's the reality of the other people it's affecting out beside yourself. That's where the problem lies. You know, when you take yourself out, uh, you know, and, you, and you've got no family and you've got no friends and you've got no one's going to cr- shed a tear for you, um, that's fine. That's just about you. But when you pilot a plane into the mountaintop, and take everybody with you. It's not just about you. So here I had an opportunity to remind people that, hey, 
Heart disease is just that. It's a disease. Don't put your hand, head in the sand. Don't pretend that, you're not, that, that, that there's no problem when you know your whole family has a history of any sickness, of cancer, of heart disease, of, of prostate problems, of whatever it is. You know, I mean, everybody should get checked out, but especially if you're genetically predisposed. And when you have children, young children, like AJ had, it's not just about you. You're going on to whatever, you know, whatever religion your, your religion says you're going on to, uh, you know, right? and, and, but, but, you're, but your pain is done. Your suffering is done. There are those who believe that hell is actually earth, you know, so that you no longer have to struggle. But especially when your state isn't in order, like A.J. Piro's was not, and you don't take care of yourself physically and you die unexpectedly and way too young and leave that kind of mess behind, I still say that's irresponsible behavior. Irresponsible like doing drugs because he was drinking and he was smoking. I mean, not excessively. Uh, he was partying, not excessively. He was eating poorly. He was overweight. Okay? So, I mean, so I mean, but is that what any different than drinking yourself to death or, or, or doing drugs or killing yourself another way? Slowly killing yourself that way? When you know in your heart of hearts that, that there is a problem or there is potentially a problem. And like I, just, like I said on the TMZ thing, when they got him to the hospital, he was already gone. Had a massive stroke on the tour bus, followed by a massive heart attack. They got in the hospital and they, ch- they autopsied him. They said if he had gotten here and was still alive, he was too far gone for us to save him. And this is a day and age of heart transplants and stents and all kinds of, if you believe in drugs for these problems, all kinds of solutions for a relatively young man to not die of heart disease. All he had to do was get checked out and be monitored. That's all it takes. So I saw opportunity on TMZ to speak out, to say these things, and maybe remind some people out there of their responsibility to their family, of their responsibility to uh, to their their kids, to their loved ones, not their band, not their fans. I mean, you know, you can say it's a responsibility or not, but the real responsibility is the the group of people. And to see his girlfriend of 19 years, who uh, is not like accepted by his family. Okay, 19 years, but I guess I'm not sure, but she may have been the other woman at one point or something with a young daughter having to go on a GoFundMe site and put up, a, a, a put up a, try to raise money to pay her rent and money because she can't get any money because she's not legally married to him. And AJ had no estate planning, so all of his assets are completely frozen. And until it's all figured out, there was no will, there was no nothing, and so it's all figured out, we as a band can't even funnel money to his, his girlfriend and his daughter or his other children. Our hands are tied as well. So here she is on social media essentially begging for money to feed her children, child and pay the rent. That is just grotesque. It's awful. It's terrible. And that makes you angry at your friend, at your dear friend, AJ Piro, made me angry. I say, dude, what did you freaking do? What did you do? The minute you start shitting out, the, not shitting out, well, ejaculating, and then the wife shits them out. That's my wife's phraseology, by the way. I shit out four kids. That's her exact words. She's a Brooklyn Italian. Nice mouth. You kiss your husband with that mouth. Um, but you know, but as minute you start, you start getting married, having kids, creating that responsibility to others. That's exactly what it is, responsibility. And you've lost your right. Yes, you have lost your right to be cavalier or casual with things like your health and your state and the, your economics. I'm sorry, you have lost your right. All right. I just spoke. Now I'm going to close that subject until 
one of you guys said something in too. <laughs> to you tweet me at Snyder Comments or email me Snyder Comments at podcast1.com. All right. Um, gonna take a break. When I come back, I guess uh, I do have time to talk about uh, who I met this week because uh, uh, it was, um, again, getting to meet a hero, uh, it's just, it's mind-numbing. And I met a lot of mine, which I feel really blessed to be able to, to say I have. And, uh, and I, and, 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 but, but still, I got to meet one of them today, uh, today a few days ago. And uh, it was just a great experience, and I want to share it with you. So take it a break, and I'll be coming back with more Snyder Comments on Podcast One. Welcome back to Snyder Comments on Podcast One. I'm Dee Snyder uh, with uh, my Wednesday podcast installment. What do they call them? I don't know. But it's a weekly thing, Wednesdays. It will be available to you. It will be a new one every week. Uh, right now, in the early stages of the show, I'm fortunate to get to record them at Podcast One World Headquarters in lovely Beverly Hills. It is kind of nice. Where I had a really... Okay, this is... I'm D. Snyder. Did I say I'm D. Snyder? I said I'm D. Uh, this is not the hero I met, by the way. I'll talk to you in a second about the hero I met. But this was last week. This is so cool. Recently, it was announced that after 17 years, 16 years, whatever the 15, whatever the number is... Um, it looks like we're going, we're, we're going to make the sequel to Strangeland. This has been project been on and off so many times. I've had so many legal battles. It's one of the most heartbreaking things of my career that I've been unable to get this done. And I had all but given up. Uh, and I ran into a fan at a restaurant uh, who came up to me and just professed, you know, what uh, what, what a life changing my what my music meant to him, and blah 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 blah, and shook my hand, and he went off and said, "I won't bother you anymore. I just wanted to tell you that," which is lovely when people come up and say that, you know, and say, "Hey man, whatever, great to meet you." Blah blah blah. That's it, and then they excuse themselves as opposed to standing at the table and staring at me. Because uh, I really don't know what to do next after that. Uh, I'm not going to start singing. I promise you that. Um, that you know, uh, he on his way out, he said, "Oh, by the way, um, you know, uh, if I could ever do anything to help you." And he hands me a torn-off piece of a menu. This is this is this is this is L.A. This is where the business card is like everything, with a handwritten, scrawled his name, number, and his website. So I'm not really one of the people who doesn't I believe in fate. I sort of believe that stuff happens for a reason. I go and look him up, and he's a producer of some pretty big movies. He did Rambo. He did War with Jason Statham and uh, Jet Li. He, he's done a lot. And we, I, I call him up and say, dude. So he's, he's producing Strangeland Disciple. I said, this has been on and off again too many times to mention. I'm The day we announced this, I'm this last week, I'm... On, I'm doing the, uh, I'm recording my broadcast, and I go and I'm walking down out to go my car, and I parked on the street, on a side street. Uh, this, this building is in a pretty fairly untypical area, you know, it's kind of hidden in, and the side streets are residential. And I'm walking down this like quiet side street, and all of a sudden I hear a woman's voice go, "D Snyder," which is pretty much how I spend my day, pretty much. Just people yelling D. Snyder out of cars. And as I walk by, because I've got, you know, I'm the Jay Leno of heavy metal. I've got, you know, the jawline that no one, you cannot hide. When I go skiing, completely covered. If my mouth and jaw stick out, I'll ski down the mountain with a helmet on, goggles, and people, D. Snyder! Really? And I'm not wearing anything that says D. Snyder on it. Okay, so it's just skiing. All right, but, so I go, hey, what's going on? Because, you know, people, it's nice that people recognize you. And she goes, it's Linda Cardellini. Now, Linda Cardellini was in Strangeland. She played Genevieve, my main victim. It was the beginning of her career. She's since gone on to do ER, the Scooby-Doo movies. She's in Bloodline. She's in the Avengers movie This that's out right now. She's a pretty big actress. I've not seen her since we finished filming, and we got along great. I'm like, Linda, what are you doing? She goes, I'm test driving this car. I just like made a, a left turn down this street, and there you were. So we reconnected, and I, I told her about the sequel. I didn't get into asking her if she'd be in the movie or whatever, but even though her character returns. But the point, I'm taking it as a bit of a, a good omen that after all these years, the day we announce 
the sequels finally coming together, I run into Linda Cardellini, which is pretty damn cool. But be that as it may. Now, about the hero I met. The MC5. How many of you are aware of the MC5? They are one of those bands that is a band of legend. Their record sales don't match their legacy and their importance. Out of Detroit, the Motor City Five were this band, and they were they were the they're punk before punk, metal before metal, uh, rough and ready, badass mother effers uh, who mixed politics. And this is in the very early 70s, late 60s, early 70s. They got down and dirty when it came to politics. You know, I mean, they uh, were members of the White Panthers, which was the white uh, arm of the Black Panther movement. They were very much in favor of violent overthrow of the government. Gun-toting Midwestern boys. And um, they were, their biggest song which is, is Kick Out the Jams with the battle cry, Up Against the Wall, Motherfucker. You know, if you've, if you've heard that, this is, so these guys are legends and like the velvet underground, their record sales don't match their influence, but just hugely important and a, and a band I'm a fan of, but recently I was a fan. I wasn't a big fan, but recently I just started, I don't know why, but digging, you know, YouTube's an amazing tool to find stuff. And so much stuff is posted there. I started checking out some of their videos, which I never saw them perform. And they were Antarctic. Is that the word? No, that's not Antarctic. That's where you guess Antarctica. No, I, I, it, a, anarchistic. They were intense and, and just, just powerful and incredible, active, live. And I'm a very big fan of, of bands that perform. These guys, they actually a lot of inspiration from soul bands a lot of like moving or synchronized moving but frantic and edgy and as i'm watching this footage and i'm digging deeper and deeper one person is jumping out at me wayne kramer the guitar player on rolling stones top 100 list of the greatest guitar players of all time wayne kramer he is moving and do like james brown but playing guitar the entire time splits and, 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 and falling and jumping and leaping and ass shaking and running around and synchronized movements with the other guitar player, uh, you know, uh, Fred Sonic Smith and just like blowing my mind. And I, now I'm watching the videos and I'm going back and I'm just paying attention to Wayne. And again, it's, it's not just his performing, it's his playing. He's shredding, well, shredding for the 60s, early 70s. You know, it was, they weren't doing hammer-ons back then. But still, he is kicking ass. And I, so I'm just so moved by his performance. I tweet, you know, just really started watching some videos on MC5 and, and discovered Wayne Kramer. What an incredible guitarist, what an incredible performer. I, I, I feel bad that I never, because I was too young, you know, I'm from the East Coast. They were very much, even though they toured a bit, they were very much in early 70s. I was still in high school, very much Midwest, you know, they were, that was their home base. Um, doing big shows there, you know, and they came out when the original Alice Cooper band, Iggy and the Stooges, uh, uh, the Detroit Wheels, you know, uh, Mitch Ryder, Detroit Wheels. These bands were coming out of the Midwest. This was like a very powerful hard rock. Oh, Ted Nugent and the Amboy Dukes, another you know friend, another one from that scene out there. So in very the early days of metallic music coming out of Detroit, the Motor City. You know, it, it was all about. So I tweet about Wayne Kramer, and Wayne Kramer tweets me back. I mean, this is the beauty of social media, to, uh, that, to have your heroes see your, you be able to express yourself publicly, and sometimes your heroes see it, and he tweets me back and says, D, honored, uh, you know, and so we start direct messaging, and I got, I had breakfast with Wayne Kramer the other day, and this is like I said, you meet these guys, you meet some people, and they're just so full of themselves. They're such assholes. And you meet others, and they do not disappoint you. They're as much a hero as ever and more so because they're so down-to-earth and so cool. And Wayne, now people, some people are going to say, who's Wayne Kramer? He's not a really big star in 
my world, in his world, in the world of people who appreciate the importance of the MC5, who I can't believe has not been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I asked them about that. They well should be. If, if um, the Velvet Underground is in there, they well should be. And that's, by the way, is all political. The people running that, Jan Warner, the, the, the editor and owner of Rolling Stone magazine, uh, the former head of Stiff Records, is always too cool for school people who think they know and they decide what is, what is acceptable, what's not acceptable. They're the ones keeping the great metal bands of the world out and making Kiss have to wait forever to get inducted. They're the ones who, you know, passing over Deep Purple. And, you know, they're the ones who, you know, it was only the people's vote that got Kiss in, the people's vote that got Rush in. Because if they had their way, there'd be none of these bands that sell bazillions of records that bazillions of people love. They would never see the light of day, and they would go on inducting Madonna into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and uh, Velvet Underground. Not that I don't think the Velvets aren't deserving, but if you go by sheer popularity, they don't have a place. And I don't think it should always be about popularity. I think it should be about influence. I think it should be about importance. And that's why Velvet Underground is there. But to ignore an MC5, and I asked Wayne about it, and he said that the people who in control those Jan Warners, they do not like the MC5. And it goes back to all kinds of things and all kinds of reasons. They've got history. The MC5 were, were like a punk before punk. They were real anarchists in the truest sense. You know, so they were like gun-carrying, when waving a flag, when wearing a flag got you was considered you know taboo you know wayne kramer had a flag guitar and was wearing a flag shirt i mean it wasn't now it was acceptable back in the late 60s that would get your ass kicked by by right wingers they would beat hippies wore that stuff they would beat the shit out of you for that okay so it was a, a bold move back there but wayne they're, but they're not in there but wayne has been to hell and back wayne has been in jail for four years. He did four years in prison for, uh, well, he was uh, a drug dealer, apparently. And uh, uh, he says, actually, he got off kind of lightly because, that, because since then, the, the laws about dealing these kind of drugs that he was dealing with, whatever, have gotten so much harsher. You get life sentences for that kind of stuff. You get life sentences. So, uh, but anyway, but his... He's been through so much. He's watched all out of the, the original, original band, MC5, which predates, the, um, pre, predates their first records. Four out of the original five members is dead. That means Wayne's the only one still alive. All from alcohol, drug-related overuse. Out of the band that people know, the five guys, the, MC, the ones who put out the albums, three out of five are dead. Only Wayne and the drummer are still alive. So you want to talk about perspective. This guy has perspective. You want to talk about appreciation for life and realize, appreciate that he's a survivor. He's um, 16 years clean and sober since, you know, he, since you know, he sobered up. And, uh, you know, he's, he works, he's got a charity called uh, Jail Guitar Doors, where he goes into prisons on a weekly basis. He started this charity, and now it's a national movement. And he um, brings in musicians to work in creative groups with uh, the inmates, recognizing that, as this is words, that these people need to be abilitated. Rehabilitation is the wrong word. They've not never been habilitated in the first place. For whatever reason, they've they've been on a path that's taking. They've never been habilitated. So they this is their first chance. So working with them in an artistic fashion, he's discovered that this is a way to help them. And this is, by the way, if you look look into it, okay, look into guitar um, jail guitar doors, the foundation. Uh, I've told Wayne that I would help him out with this. It's in cities and jails all over the country doing great work. And again, they're, you know, they're subsidizing himself is one of the biggest problems. And this is a way to 
cure our the ills of our country. It's not by you know putting these people back out on the streets without trying to habilitate them in the first place. Give them something to do. Give them something to focus on. So Wayne Kramer, hero. Great to see him. Great to meet him. He lived. He was like I said, everything I would want him to be. And I learned so much from him. And I plan on bringing him in on one of the shows because he taught me something. I, as a non-drug user, I'm pretty unforgiving when it comes to drugs and alcohol as an excuse. But he explained to me the realities of the disease of alcoholism and drug addiction. And the rea- and and he taught me a lot in that two hours we sat there together. Uh, Brother Wayne took me to school on a couple of things, and it's something I like to talk about in the future. All right, that's it for Snyder Comments for this week. I'll be back next week, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring somebody in because I want to talk about this farewell tour bullshit. Okay, the Endless, uh, Scorpions, uh, let me see, Nine Inch Nails, Ozzy Osbourne, Rolling Stones, Kiss, The Who, Cher, Tina Turner, Elton John, Frank Sinatra, all people have said, we're retiring. And like a fart in a paper bag, they never went away. Uh, so I'm going to talk about that at length next week on Snyder Comments. And again, tweet me at Snyder Comments, that's with an I, or email me, SnyderComments at PodcastOne.com. Have a great week, everybody. See you next time.